Welcome everybody, part two of our series on Eben Haezer with Diana Ofer Livnat. Uh, we were very much looking forward to Diana Livnat being here with us in person with some of the London uh, Talmudim and Talmudot, but unfortunately due to the uh, COVID guidelines, the Rav is waiting for the PCR results. So we, we definitely miss you in person, but I'm sure it will be equally inspiring to learn from you virtually. Um, I believe tonight we are learning about the halakhic status of civil marriages and um, we've just read an essay on it that you've recommended and we look forward to hearing your take on it tonight. Uh, you see now, apologies for the uh, poor lighting of the hotel room here, but uh, hopefully uh, we'll make do. Uh, again, last time was very good. Uh, everybody participated and asked questions, and so feel free to do that again this evening. And we're going to try to focus on um, the halachic status of civil marriages. This is a critical issue in this generation, and obviously in the previous generation, when we have many Jews who are not getting married uh, in Chupavi Kiddushin, not getting married as we discussed last time, with the proper procedure of doing Kiddushin and then Chupah, and they simply get married civilly. Okay, this is obviously the case in many countries around the world um, that Jews, uh, many Jews that happen to only get married civilly in the UK, in America, and other places. And even in Israel, although officially, by Israeli law, there is no such thing as civil marriage. If you can believe Israel, the Israeli law only recognizes um, religious marriage, in other words, a Jew gets married to a Jewish marriage, Muslim, Muslim, Christian, Christian, and if you are uh, not part of any one of the recognized religions, then you have no way of getting married in Israel. Nevertheless, due to a uh, ruling of the Supreme Court of Israel some years ago, that if somebody gets married in a different country, then that marriage is sort of... Uh, somehow recognized by the Israeli authorities. We won't get into the legal loophole, how they how they inserted it. It's not so important for our purposes. So de facto, there is civil marriage even in Israel uh, by Jews going to other countries. Uh, some just hop over onto Cyprus, uh, get married, and then come back to Israel. So there are a lot of people getting married civilly. And the question is, what is the halachic status of that marriage? Are they considered to be married al-pi halacha? And if they are, then the ramifications are tremendous, because then to separate uh, a get is required. And if, for example, uh, the uh, woman would go ahead and have relations with a different man who is not her husband, uh, then that would also taint and bring, bring a child to the world with a different Jewish man without getting a get, then that would taint the status of the child. However, if they're not considered married al-pi then there's much less to worry about. Uh, then if they separate, they don't need a get. Even if they separate without a get and go ahead and have children with another marriage, it won't have any effect on the children. So this has really become a critical question. Again, it's a relatively modern question, only since, uh, because in, in the times past, uh, there was no such thing as civil marriages. So it's, it's a relatively, uh, I guess in, in historical terms, it's a relatively new phenomenon. However, as we will see, the earlier sources that addressed this didn't address civil marriages, but they did address uh, what happens when 
Jews get married, but not as a Jewish marriage, but under another religious marriage. And from the principles that were stated there, then we can try to draw upon what would be the status of, of a civil marriage. But this is really this is really a burning question that every Beidin has to deal with uh, at some point or another. Okay. So we'll try to explain what it's all about. Okay, so the primary source that we have on this issue is a chuva of the Rivash. Okay, the Rivash was 14th century Sfaradi uh, Rishon, Sfaradi in the most literal sense of the world that he was in Sfarad in Spain. He was a student of the Ran, and the Ran was a student of, of students of the Ramban, so it's all from the same Beit Midrash, the Spanish Beit Midrash that was founded by the Ramban. And here we'll, we're going to study this chuva of the Rivash quite in depth because this is really the primary source on this issue. It's also very, the context of it is also very historically very interesting, as we will see. Okay, so this is on the source pages on page 12. Okay, Shuta Rivash. Again, anybody has any questions or comments, feel free to, to interject. Okay, so he asks here, Sheva, this is the this is the question that you received. Mallorca is an island in the Mediterranean off Spain that at least um, in the 13th, 14th century, up, up until the Spanish Inquisition, had a lively Jewish community. But you can already see from the context of this questions that they already had problems starting. In other words, this woman was forced to converting to another religion, uh, which we know um, uh, apparently was to Christianity. And she has a child with her. So they asked her, what's your status and where, where did this child come from? In other words, another Jew who is also of the Anusim, the people who were forced to to uh, to convert to another religion. Me'eretz Aragon, Aragon is an area in northeast Spain. Uh, also, a lot of Jewish history there from those times. So before the Gzera, which apparently is a reference to uh, the decree that had forced them. Uh, to convert uh, uh, to Christianity, he had asked her, he had offered, asked her to marry him, but they didn't get married. It wasn't successful. Maybe she didn't respond positively. Um, however, but a week after the decree that they had forced, been forced to convert, so another Anus, another one of these Jews who had converted, uh, forced into conversion, uh, a friend of his uh, came to her and he uh, appealed to her that she should marry him. And she agreed to it and they decided to get married. But he didn't do kiddushin in front of witnesses. He didn't marry her in front of 10 people because um, the kiddushin need to be done in front of two witnesses. The chupa, which is the nisuin, that needs to be done in front of 10 people. Why? Because part of the chupa is to say the sheva brachot, 
and the Sheva Brachot need to be the seven blessings that we said at the Chupa, and the Sheva Brachot for that you need a Minyan to say them, and it's actually part of the goal of the Nisuin to be done in front of ten people to make the marriage more publicly known. However, he didn't do any of that. Rather, they got married in a, the uh, he says, the marriage of the idol worshippers. In other words, they got married as a Christian marriage. And they lived together as a married couple, and many other Anusim were aware of this. So he was with her for three months, and she got pregnant, and this is the child from that marriage. And then the man left. He left. He went across the ocean to somewhere else, never to return. So they asked the Rivash, what is the status of this woman? Because obviously the question now is, if we say that the marriage, uh, that they got married in this Christian marriage is also considered halachically to be married, then obviously she's in, the, she, she's in a terrible situation because her husband has disappeared. There is no knowledge of his whereabouts if he's alive or dead, and she has no way of receiving a gift from him. However, if we say that she's not considered to be married, according to Halakha, then, okay, he's gone, and she's free to, to find herself another husband. Okay, so let's see what the Rivash answers. So he answers as follows. Tshuva, ein safek anisuin, that the engagement or marriage, tikreem k'moshet however you want to call them, that were done according to the uh, practices, the customs of the idol worshippers and according to their priests, he says there's no concern at all that they would be considered kiddushin. Even if there were kosher witnesses there. So he's alluding to the part of the problem that was likely in the ceremony was that there were no kosher witnesses there, okay? Because who's to say there was any kosher witness in that wedding? But even if there were kosher witnesses there, we said if there's no kosher witnesses, they're not considered to be married. But even if there were kosher witnesses, still nevertheless, because the process of Kiddushin is as follows. The process of Kiddushin, again, we always do Kiddushay Kesef, that... The husband does the kiddushin with an object of monetary value, namely a ring. That's our custom to always use the ring for kiddushin. So, therefore, and he has to say, when you give the ring, you have to say that you're giving it for the purposes of kiddushin. Like we all know at the Jewish wedding, he says, So he declares that he's giving her this ring as kiddushin, and then he has to give her. Those are the two critical components of the act of kiddushin the netina, the giving, and the amira, the, the saying, the declaration, okay? So, in this case, there was no giving, and there was no declaration. And he says now something very interesting. There's an interesting caveat, even though, as we said, 
when when the husband when the man wants to do kiddushin, so he has to say that he's going to be mekadesher, that he says aveach mekudeshet li, or or some other language which indicates that he's giving the ring for kiddushin. The Gemara says that if it's what we call in other words, that the whole context of what he was talking to her about was regarding to Duki Dushin, and then he goes and gives her the ring, he doesn't need to say that he's giving her the ring for the sake of Kidushin, because it's clear from the context. So you could argue that since, let's say he did give her a ring in the context of a wedding, okay, then you could argue that that Amira, that saying of Avav Mikudeshit, is not necessary because it's clear from the context. By the way, this has a ramification, a practical ramification for weddings that we do for a proper Kupavi Kiddushin because the witnesses, again, the standard witnesses on Kiddushin, what do they have to witness? They have to witness those two things. They have to hear the husband say Avav Mikudeshit, plus they have to see him give her the ring. Let's say at one of our weddings, they, the, the, the witnesses did not hear him say Haveyat Mekudeshati. Okay? Would that invalidate the Kiddushin? So many poskim come along and say it does not. Why? Because even though they didn't hear him say the words, it's clear from the whole context, because again, they invited everybody to their wedding. You know, they have the rabbi, they have everybody here. It's clear that he's giving her a wedding ring. So because it's clear from the context, then we don't need the, we don't actually need, in this specific case, the saying of Havayat Mikudeshati, because again, it's clear from the context. So the Rivash says, well, here they also gathered for a ceremony, so maybe for a marriage ceremony. So maybe we can forgo the um, the uh, the Amira, the saying, maybe that's not necessary. Okay. Here he didn't give her anything at all. Rather, here what happens is, is the priest, he blessed both of them, and he gave him each of them the ring. So there was no giving from the husband to the, to the wife. If the husband had given her a ring, then we could have argued that maybe, I don't need, even though he didn't say, maybe it's clear from the context that he's giving it to her for that purpose. But here he didn't give her anything. So what the Rivash has basically said that in terms of the ceremony itself, the marriage ceremony that they underwent with the priest, that cannot be considered kiddushin for sure. Why? Because there was no giving of a ring from the husband to the wife. Okay. However, that doesn't yet solve the problem because you could still find a kiddushin if not in that ceremony, but later on. Okay. And this is what he's going to get, to get into now. This is very interesting. And he says as follows. Because what happened here in this case, it wasn't just the ceremony, right? Afterwards, they had lived together for three months, and this was public knowledge, okay? So maybe the fact that they were living together and that was publicly known, that was Pirsum, that was well known, maybe that can be considered Kiddushin. How so? Let's see. And it was also evident, you know, that they were uh, in a relationship because she got pregnant. And we have the following halachai, Mosechet Begitin. If somebody divorces his wife, and after the divorce, they spend the night together in a hotel. 
בית שמאי אומרים, אין צריכה אם אין הוגה שני, according to בית שמאי, she does not need a second gift. The fact that they spend the night together does not uh, taint their divorce. ובית הלל אומרים, צריכה אם אין הוגה שני. But according to בית הלל, they do need a second gift. In other words, if a, if a man divorces his wife, And then after the divorce, after the gift has been given, they spend a, a night together in a hotel, for example, then now they need another gift, okay? In other words, it's considered as if he has remarried her, okay? Well, what's the logic of this? So let's see. So the Mishnah says, In other words, this is only if they were actually had done Nisuin. In other words, that the, he, he, he didn't just engage her, but he actually married her. And again, married her means that they live together. However, if he only, if he divorced her only after engagement, because again, in those times, if you remember last week I mentioned, then in those times they would do the, it's not like we do today, that we do the Kiddushin and the Nisuin together, that we do the Kiddushin and the Chupah both together. And that, in those times they would do the Kiddushin At the earlier stage of what we call engagement, they would do then the Kiddushin, and only months later or up to a year later, they would do the Nisuin. So it could be that a husband would do Kiddushin, but he never actually married her, so he never had relations with her. And he divorced her. They decided to separate beforehand. They divorced her, and you still need a get because Kiddushin were done. So again, if, it, if they had been actually been married, and then they spend the night together at a hotel, then they need a second get. If they never got married, they were only engaged, then, and they spent the night together at a hotel, then they do not need a second get. Why? Because since he never had relations with her while they were engaged, I mean, that's the assumption, that they were waiting until the Nisuin, then we do not suspect him that he had relations with her. Okay, now, the Gemara, now he's going to explain how does, how does this all work out. In other words, the Gemara says that this case of the Mishnah, of the husband spending the night with his ex-wife in the Pundaki, is not talking about a case where witnesses actually saw them having relations. Okay, so I'll explain what's going on here. And this is a very, uh, this is a fundamental concept that the Urivash is going to address now. And the principle here is as follows. Again, we're talking about the situation that a husband, a, a man and a woman got divorced, and then they had relations, okay? If they had relations at this point, then we say as follows. In other words, a man does not, or not just the men, but rather both of them, it has to be uh, mutual, they both, when they're having relations, they do not have intent to having relations of biasnut. Biasnut, again, is non-marital relations. Rather, we assume that they are interested in having uh, proper relations under marriage, and therefore we assume that in this relations that he had with her, he had intent for kiddushin. And as we mentioned, one of the ways that you can do Kiddushin is through Bi'ah, through relations, through marital relations. That's the way to do Kiddushin. It's not just by Kiddushin Kesef. So therefore, in this case where they had relations after the get, 
if we know that the, if there were actual witnesses that saw them having relations, then we assume that their intent was not for Biyat Nu to just have uh, a, a relations which would not make them married. Rather, we assume that their intent was, in essence, to remarry each other and to do Kiddushin and these relations. And that's why a second get is required. Okay? So for this to take place, because Kiddushin require a deem, this only takes effect if there were witnesses on this. Okay? If, let's say, a divorced couple had relations, but there were no witnesses to the fact, they would not be considered remarried. Why? Because even if they had intent for Kiddushin in these relations, nevertheless, there's no Kiddushin without a deem, without witnesses. But if witnesses saw them having relations, okay, then, then that's the case that they're considered now to be remarried and that she's considered again to be Mekudesha to him and a second get is required. Okay? Um, so just to wrap up this point, the Mishnah, again, so everybody would agree if the witnesses actually saw them have a relations that a second get was required. The Mishnah, though, is talking about where witnesses didn't see them actually having relations, which would obviously be, be very uh, troubling if that happened, if they actually saw them having relations. However, all they saw was the Yichud. In other words, this is actually a more likely scenario, that the Yedim saw them going into the hotel room and coming out the following morning. Okay, let's say. So the Yedim were not witnesses to them actually having relations, but they were witnesses to the Yichud, to them having been secluded alone in the room. So this is where the Mechlokit of Beit Shammai and Beit Yilid is, that Beit Shammai says they only witnessed the Yichud, but they didn't witness the Biyah. Therefore, um, we cannot necessarily assume that they had relations when they were alone in that room. However, according to Beit Yilid, and this is what the Rivash here says, Beit Yilid Savri, since this was a married couple and they previously had relations in the past, then once we know that they were secluded alone in the room together, then we assume that they indeed had relations. And therefore, even though the witnesses only saw the Yehud, only saw them being secluded in the room alone, nevertheless, then the assumption is once they saw that, that's considered as if they saw them having relations, and if they had relations, then again, we are concerned that the, they had they had re- intent for Kiddushin in these relations that they had. And therefore, now she's Mekudeshet again, and a second get is required, unless they want to stay together, then that's fine. But if they want to separate again, then a second get is required. Okay? So now, how does that tie into the uh, case of the Rivash? Anybody have an idea? How does this connect now to the case of the Rivash, of, of the couple that got married um, in a Christian marriage? Why, why is this uh, whole issue of the man with his ex-wife, why is that related to here? Anybody have an idea? How is he going to apply this? Okay, so we have this case, a man, he spent the night with his ex-wife, They're considered that's considered to be Kiddushin. How is this going to to tie back into the the case of the the couple that got married in a uh, in the Christian ceremony? Any suggestions? Okay. Do we assume that if she doesn't get pregnant, that they just never had relations? Is that is that where you're going with this? 
No, no. To, well, look, if she got pregnant, and they for sure had relations, right? Or we don't believe in the uh, constant. Yeah, sure. <laughs> so that, that's for sure. But even if they didn't, have, even if even if she hadn't got certainly if she got pregnant, and for sure. But even if she hadn't gotten pregnant, just the fact that they were alone together, okay, and and that did become public knowledge. Again, remember the case of the Rivash was that they were together for three months, okay. So three months it became public knowledge. And that's, that's considered already that we have a deem that there are witnesses on this, okay. We know that they were having relations. Certainly, once she got pregnant, and it's, it's definite. Even if she hadn't gone pregnant, we, we could have assumed it, according to the principle of Beit Hillel, of hen hen yichud hen that the, that the witnesses on the seclusion are considered to be witnesses on the relations. But certainly now she got pregnant. So now, again, so what, under what principle now could we claim that she's mekudesha to this man? Exactly. Exactly. We could say... We have we we have that it, it seems that we have all the components that that we need to to claim that they're married. Why? Because we have the act, right? The act needs kiddushin, right? We have the witnesses again, the public knowledge of them being together, and the intent, like we see in the case of the man with his ex-wife, we can assume it that he had in, that they had intent for kiddushin. So we could claim even if the ceremony of the Christian ceremony was not kiddushin at all. We could claim, nevertheless, that they are married, that there was Kiddushin, from the fact of them having relations, with it being publicly known, which would be considered equivalent to witnesses, and with the assumed intent of that a person doesn't want to do his uh, to do a bilatsnut, he wants to, if he's having relations with a woman, he wants to uh, uh, to be married. So since when is public knowledge considered to be a dut? Because you could say that about a wedding, there could be no witnesses there, but it becomes public knowledge. So why is why is it different in this case, or is it different? No, no. By the way, by a wedding, that's also one of the debates. Is that considered to be like there? There are sources in Halakha that that uh, public knowledge is considered like a dut. Uh, there are examples of it, and. There is a Chuvav the Hatam Sofer that he wanted to claim regarding a case where the Edim who were supposed to see the Kiddushin, they completely blew it. They didn't hear anything. They didn't see anything. I don't know. They got diverted by the by the uh, by the Smorgasbord or who knows what. And he says, nevertheless, the public knowledge is considered uh, Edim. Okay, there's a whole debate on that. Many many disagree with the Hatam Sofer, but for other reasons, not for not for the the, the issue of. Uh, but generally, public knowledge is considered to be a dude. There are sources for that. But, but I think last week you mentioned that we, we managed to puzzle weddings because the, the Adim were not kasher. So we, we seem to use that when we want to, to help Agunut. So, uh, I know, but yes, but it, that's in cases, again, that's in cases, because what happens is in the weddings, the way it's done nowadays, or has been done for quite a while, we specify certain Adim to the exclusion of all other edim. So that's the basis for those cases, that since they specified specific edim and they excluded all other edim, that's why it sort of excludes the, the public knowledge. Again, it's, it's, a, it's a, I'm saying this, I'm saying things here very, um, like on the tip of the iceberg. This is all, those cases are all debated and this is all part of the debate, the public knowledge, et cetera. 
But here we're talking about much simpler. This is not public knowledge or just a specific act that occurred in a second of him giving her a ring. We're talking about a couple, you know, living together for, for a few months. So that's that's public knowledge on, on, on more than just a, you know, on a certain event that may or may have not have happened. This is like something ongoing. So this is definitely a much more powerful edut in the sense of what we call Anan Sahadi. We are all witnesses to this. Okay. All right. Anyway, that's the argument is going to raise, and let's see what he does with this. Okay, but you see, that's the question he raises. Okay. Now, there's actually regarding this principle of that the person does not want his relations to be considered a bilatznut again, uh, relations which are just a one-off without the intent of marriage. He wants his, when he has relations with the woman, he wants to do it for the sake of marriage. There is a dispute between the Geonim and the Rambam how to understand this principle. Okay, so this is a little bit background. And he says as follows. From this halacha, of the man who divorced his wife and, and she spent the night with him at the hotel, some of the Yonim uh, stated the following halakha, according to this opinion of Yonim, not just an ex-wife, but any woman that will have relations, any unmarried woman that will have relations with a man in front of witnesses, will require a get based on this principle. Okay, uh, because a man does not want his bila to be a bila snut, and therefore he has intent for kiddushin. And says the Rivash, and according to that opinion of the Geonim, that we know that they've been intimately involved in the past, the, or, sorry, that they are intimately involved in this case, and also that he took her to marry her, in, in the case again of this anus, these anusim, if there are a deem that he was secluded with her, then a get would be required. So if there were witnesses on them being secluded together, then again, perhaps we don't even need the idea of the Tirsum, the publicity being like a deem. Maybe there were actually two witnesses that saw them, you know, living together in their home alone. And therefore, we would say, and a man again doesn't want his bila to be ratznut, and therefore, when he has relations with her, he did it l'shem kiddushin. However, not so simple. The Rambam argues with the Geonim, and he says as follows: The Rambam completely rejects this opinion of the Geonim. Rambam uses very sharp language against this opinion of the Geonim. He says this idea is very is very far from the correct approach to halacha, and you should not rely on this. Why? The Rambam says that the case that the Mishnah brought of a man spending the night with his ex-wife is specific to that case. Why? 
או בא אליה לשם קידושין מפני שדעתו להחזירה. Why? Because this is a woman that he was previously married to. So by such a woman, in other words, his ex-wife, only in that case we assume that if he had relations with her, it was for the sake of remarrying her. Okay? Or another case, Let's say a person did kiddushin, but he did a conditional kiddushin. Okay? In other words, this is something that you can do. That when you do kiddushin, you can make a condition. You can stipulate the condition. You can say, uh, um, I don't know. Somebody says, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm being mekadesh this woman on the condition that I don't know. Somebody gives me buys me a house, okay? And if they never end up buying him the house, then the kiddushin are null and void because they were conditional, okay? That's something that's possible to do. But let's say somebody does kiddushin at night, he makes a conditional kiddushin, but then he has relations with her, he has relations with her, and he doesn't mention the kiddushin at all. In that case, we assume, and he wants to marry her regardless, and therefore he does that, he has those relations, to be married. Okay? In other words, just to explain, the logic of the Rambam is as follows. The logic of the Rambam, is that we don't say in any case that we see any man and woman, unmarried man and woman, having relations together, that we automatically assume that they have intent for marriage. Roundup says absolutely not. Why should we assume that? We have people, unfortunately, that have relations, non-committal, outside of marriage, and there's no reason to assume that they had intent for marriage. The Gemara that said, is only talking about a case, a man and a woman, that showed some indication or some desire of being married, either because they were mar- married in the past. So that's why we have grounds to assume that if they're involved again in a relationship, they're doing it for, in the same context of you know, their, their previous relationship, which, which was marriage. Okay, so we say by an ex-wife, uh, then they have intent for marriage. Or, for example, the case where a person did kiddushin conditionally. So again, he showed some intent to be married to this woman. So in that case, we say, but just by just a random couple that never showed any any intent for marriage, then according to the Rambam, we do not say, and therefore, even if witnesses saw them having relations together, uh, no get would be, re- be required. And therefore, <clears throat> And therefore, um, there was no reason to assume that they had intent for Kiddushin. Okay, now let me ask you the following question. So, would you say that this case of, again, that this man and the woman that, that got married in the Christian marriage, would that be dependent on this machloket, this dispute between the Geonim and the Rambam? Would you say that according to the Geonim, we always say, that they had intent for Kiddushin? And therefore, in this case of the man, these Anusim that got married in the Christian marriage, they also had intent for Kiddushin. And according to the Rambam, no, because according to the Rambam, we only say that by a couple that was previously married or where he did a, a, a Kiddushin, of night, a conditional Kiddushin. Would this case be dependent on that Machlokit? Anybody? What? I'm sorry, Ohad, you wanted to say something? Or, or yeah, I, was saying it's, I don't think it's dependent because clearly they expressed uh, commitment. So you're saying according to both opinions, um, it would be considered. Anybody else? Uh, 
Anybody else have a different opinion or everybody concurs with that? Uh, I would say according to the Rambam, it's not concerned because it's very limited. The circumstances where we, we apply this principle, so it would not apply in this case, where they got married through living together for three months without having been previously married or um, having this condition of Kiddushin. Whereas if we go with the other opinion, then it would be considered you're saying it would depend on the Machloket of Yonim and Dorambam? Yes, I understand. Yeah, exactly. I would say it depends on this Machloket that there's enough Gemina whether you go with the Rambam's opinion or the other way. Okay, so we'll see in the Rivash that sort of every possibility is correct, at least in one stage or another. In other words, at first the Rivash says, suggests that maybe it does depend on this Machloket of Rambam and Yonim. Then he goes on to say, that maybe here, even like Kohat said, even the Rambam would agree that there is a concern for Kiddushin. But his final conclusion is going to be just the opposite, that even according to the Geonim, in this case, there is no concern for Kiddushin. Let's see. Let's see what his argument is. Okay. So at first he says, he says, In other words, according to the opinion of the Rambam, there was no, never any expressed intent for Kiddushin, and the principle of the is very limited according to the Rambam. So in this case, it would not apply. However, then he says, This is like Ohad said. Even the Rambam only made this claim if it's two single, a um, single man, a single woman, and they had to happen, uh, happen to have an occasional relationship. Anything about Kiddushin, why should we assume that there was intent for Kiddushin? But in our case, in our case, where this man asked her to marry him, again, these Anusim, the case was that he actually asked her to marry him. Okay, this is considered, since he asked her to marry him, that's considered that it's clear from the context that there is intent for Kiddushin, even if it wasn't the words Kiddushin weren't explicitly said. That's considered as if he said to the Yedim on the Yehud, who saw them secluded together, that he has intent to have relations with her for the purpose of Kiddushin. So now we, according to now what he's saying now, both according to the Geonim and according to the Rambam, they would be considered married. Now he turns the tables. Okay, and this is really the most critical part in this Tshuva of the Rivash. Okay, and he says as follows. We could respond and say, just the opposite is the case. Even according to those let's say normally if we see a man having relations with a woman, then we, we are concerned that perhaps he did have intent for Kiddushin. In this case, it's clear that he did not have intent for Kiddushin, and even the Geonim would agree that no get is required. 
Y, וכיוון שייתנו בנישואים בחוקות העובדי כוכבים ובבית במותם מפי הכומר, once they are had their marriage arranged in according to the laws of the idol worshippers and by their priests and apparently was in a church or whatever it was, in other words, by having this relationship done under, in the context and under the guidelines and ceremonies of a different religion, that in, by doing that, in essence, they've declared we're not interested in the marriage according to the Torah, but rather we are interested in the type of marriage that non-Jews have. Non-Jews do not have, as we studied last week, non-Jews do not have the concept of Kiddushin, nor do they have the concept of Kitin. So by following the ceremonies and rituals of the non-Jews, that in essence is considered to be an explicit declaration that they're not interested in a in Kiddushin. The Imke Neinan Esuan, therefore, she's not considered to be married. She has the status of a Pilegish, Pilegish, a concubine, which is a woman who is in a relationship with a man, even a permanent relationship with a man, but without the full obligations of Alacha, no Kiddushin, no Ketuvah, none of the monetary obligations either. Okay? In other words, what the Rivash claims is essentially, and this is the crux of his argument, that he says, in this case, even everybody would agree that there was no intent for Kiddushin. Why? Because even though they had intent for marriage, for there to be intent for Kiddushin, it's not enough to just have generally intent for some general concept of marriage. It has to be intent specifically for marriage as the Torah prescribed marriage, which is by Kiddushin, which is only terminated by a get, Gitin. They did not have the intent for this whole framework. They had intent for a different system of marriage, a non-Jewish system. And the non-Jewish system works for non-Jews. It does not work for Jews. So therefore, according to Halakha, uh, they're not considered to be married. Okay, and uh, according to Mitzvah Kizushi, India is a formal way of Alpi Torah to be a Kaddish woman. So why, so why is this not formally enough Alpi Torah to have the intent to marry someone? No, but the basis for any Kiddushin, Kiddushin, again, we mentioned all the components that it has. It has to have the act, which Biyah can be an act of Kiddushin. It has to have the declaration. It has to have witnesses. But there's something even more basic that you need to have before all those things, and that is Kavana, intent. Intent for Kiddushin. If there, if there was intent for Kiddushin, then this would have been considered Kiddushin, because we have Biyah, we have witnesses, we have everything. The problem was, says the Rivash, is at the basis. There was no intent for Kiddushin, because the intent for marriage under a different system, which is not the system of Torah, since they got married here under a marriage of a different religion, which does not have the concepts of Kiddushin, that's not, that's by definition considered to be explicitly not for the sake of Kiddushin. And therefore, the Riva says across the board, Gionim, Rambam, everybody would agree that she's not Mikudesh. Okay? That, that this does not raise a wider, a wider question about um, people's habana about the notion of kiddushin. Like we talk about, they, they're going into an act, they're going to perform an act of kiddushin, and we know that the wife can't be married. But honest, you know, elemedata, she's married. But is that enough? Don't don't the bar, don't the don't the bar and the 
and the Eshet, the Eshet is to be, know, have to know something about the nature of what it is they're getting into. There's quite often in a lot of marriages, there's no real idea about what they're doing. So does that then constitute a lack of knowledge and therefore does it, does it create a suffix kiddushin? I mean, my understanding from looking at the halakha is that it doesn't, but I've always wondered about a, bit, well, a lack of knowledge when entering, when going under the chuppah for most couples. Well, I'll say two things to that. First of all, it's the responsibility of the of the rabbi uh, who's uh, preparing the couple for the marriage that he needs to explain to them what kiddushin is. Okay. I think that's certainly one of his responsibilities. They have to know what they're getting into because they are getting into a serious commitment and uh, and they have to be aware of what they're getting themselves into when they're doing it. So that's one point. Practically speaking, <clears throat> if they said, the baseline is assumption is that people know what that means. Okay? So that's why, practically speaking, it would be very difficult to void a kiddushin under the claim that it was misunderstood. If somehow you could prove that they really didn't understand, he didn't understand what he was saying, or she didn't understand what he was saying, then, you know, maybe that would void the kiddushi. But practically speaking, since those words have a clear meaning, and it's generally understood by everybody at some level or another, then then um, then that's why it, it, would, it would be difficult or impossible nearly to void Kiddushin on the basis on the claim of lack of understanding. But if, let's say, you'll take somebody who grew up in a forest uh, amongst uh, wolves and never heard of the concept of Kiddushin, then for sure, even if they said the words, but they had no idea what they were saying, then uh, obviously those words would be hollow. And uh, that, would, that would not be Kiddushin. Because again, the, the intent has to be there. That's for sure. And that's what their divash is saying. Here, they didn't have intent for Kiddushin. They had a different intent. Okay, everybody, any other questions or comments on the Rivash before we jump to civil marriage? Okay, very good. So let's jump. Good question, Rob. Yeah, please. I was going to ask the case that the Rivash uh, brought, was that a case where they specifically got married in a, in a non-Jewish setting or they were forced to? Was it like they decided we don't want to be married in a Jewish, you know, in, in Kiddush? Well, look, obviously they were forced into the whole scenario. Okay, they, they were Anusim, but now that they were Anusim, they, they got married according to these rituals. So there's no indication that they had a different intent. Okay? Had they not been forced to becoming Anusim, would they have gotten married uh, with a priest? Probably not. But, you know, that was the reality okay, of their life were... at that point in time. But then couldn't you argue that... that, that... That you know, we're saying that the whole premise is that, that even the Ghani would agree that they, it's not, you know, it's not a condition because they're married in this situation, but they're forced to. Maybe if they, maybe they do have some sort of intent to be married Jewishly, they just deny the opportunity. Could be, but like we said, varim varim. You know, there's no. It could be that in their hearts, maybe that's what they're desired, but based on their actions, there's no indication that they did anything other than being married. Um, you know, by the priest. They had, there's no indication that they did anything other than that. Would it follow then that nowadays when it's so easy to get married in a, in a Jewish setting, if you specifically use civil marriage, you're, it's tantamount to saying, I don't want to be married Jewishly, and therefore the Kiddushin, it's not Kiddushin for sure, civilly. Yeah, that's one of the arguments for those that claim that uh, civil marriage is not, uh, I mean, that, that argument is actually very powerful in Israel. 
Because in Israel, by law, the only marriage that's available to you is Kiddushin, if you're Jewish. So if you're flying to Cyprus to get married, right, why are you going to all that trouble? Because that, that in essence, is a declaration, I'm not interested in Kiddushin. And that's why I'm going out of my way to do an alternative marriage. So I think certainly in Israel nowadays, that claim is very powerful. Rabbi, since you mentioned that they, they have a status in Halakha of Pilegesh, right. is there any agonot concern for Pilegesh, or there isn't, you know, because that's where we've concluded the rebush has concluded she, she's a Pilegesh and he's disappeared so what does that make us think? no she's a Pilegesh look there is there, there's a there's a slight debate on Pilegesh but because there's one gear somewhere that the Pilegesh does have a require a gift but the basic assumption is again without complicating things the simple assumption in Alakha is that if she's a Pilegesh then no get is required Okay, thank you. Okay, so that's the basic assumption. That's what the Rivash ruled in this case. Okay, so let's jump now from the 14th century. We're jumping now to the 20th century. And here a debate arose. All, all the poskim of the of the 20th century, all of them addressed this issue. I don't think I don't think you'll it'll be hard to press to find one posek that hasn't addressed this issue. Uh, however, I will mention the two most famous poskim that debated this issue. And these were uh, Rav Henkin and Ramosha Feinstein. Okay, where Moshe Feinstein is well known, he was the great authority of the previous generation in America. But prior to Ramosha Feinstein, the great Poseca of America before Ramosha Feinstein emerged was Rav Yosef Eliyahu Henkin. And the story was in America when Jews started flooding to America, so there was a great need uh, to have rabbis. There was a shortage of rabbis. So anybody who had studied a little bit in yeshiva uh, would be sent, would given smicha and sent out to become a rabbi. So originally, along with the smicha, you would receive the phone number of Ravhenkin, because even though you, they gave you a title of rabbi, pretty much all you could do was if somebody asked you a question was call up Ravhenkin. Later on, after Ravhenkin passed away, then uh, they would give out Rav Moshe Feinstein's number. So Ravhenkin, he, he, he addressed this issue of civil marriage, because Jews were getting married civilly, not Utaviki Dushin, and the question was, what is the status of that marriage? And Rav Henkin claimed that they are considered to be married on Pi Halacha and the Ged is required. And what was his argument? His argument was that intent for Kiddushin does not need to be specifically intent for Kiddushin. He says Kiddushin is basically marriage. That's all it is. And therefore, if somebody has intent for marriage, then... That's considered like intent for the Kiddushin. It's the same thing. That's what that that's that's in a nutshell. That was his argument. Okay, he didn't see Kiddushin as to be something you a special, something unique, other other than the basic concept of marriage. And he said basically anybody who has intent for marriage has intent for Kiddushin. And therefore, basically, the entire argument that we saw in the Rivash <laughs> that the Rivash just rejected, that's essentially the argument that Rafenkin make claims that. If a person has has intent for marriage, he has relations with her, they're living together, it's publicly known, then they are considered to be married according to Alakha, and the get is required. That was the opinion of Ravenki, and he wrote about it extensively. Where Moshe Feinstein and many others argued with him, and they claimed, you know, what you say could be good in theory, 
but it absolutely contradicts this tshuva of the rivash. And this tshuva of the rivash, in two places, the Shulchan Aruch rules according to this tshuva of the rivash. And he says the rivash exactly addressed this issue. They they say there's no difference between whether it's Christian marriage or civil marriage. And the heart of the tshuva of the rivash is that intent for marriage is not equivalent to intent for kiddushin. Kiddushin is a specific process of marriage which was instituted by the Torah. And if you don't have intent for that, you have intent for marriage under a different system. It doesn't matter if it's a system of another religion or if it's a secular system instituted by by states, by governments called civil marriage. Ultimately, even though you had intent for marriage, you did not have intent for the specific marriage of the Torah of Kiddushin. And that they claim, Rav Hankin tries to address the Tshuva of the Rivash, but all, all his attempts to explain it are very, are very weak. And that's essentially the heart of the argument of Ramosha Feinstein. And he says, it goes against the Rivash, it goes against the ruling of the Shulchan Aruch, and therefore he rejected the opinion of Rav Hankin. I'll just mention very quickly, because this ties into uh, our last shiur, the Tzitzah Bezev, Rabbi Bezev Yehuda Vandenberg, who was also one of the great poskim of the previous generation who lived in Israel, and he argues that th- this point of the Rivash is actually evident from Rambam as well, because Rambam described marriage kodim Torah, right? He says there was a marriage prior to the giving of the Torah, like we studied last week, which the man and woman would join together, could live together for the intent of marriage, and they would be considered marriage. However, the Torah instituted something additional which is Kiddushin, and Kiddushin is essentially a process that he acquires her, again, acquires her in the rights, acquires of the exclusive rights to have relations with her, and that is only undone if the husband dies, or if he relinquishes that acquirement by giving of the get. And that's not the normal, that's not necessarily equivalent in other systems. If, If you would find, let's say, another system which has exactly the same notions of acquirement of kiddushin and yidin, maybe in that system, intent for that system of marriage would be, you could argue, is equivalent uh, to the system of Torah. But if it's a different system that doesn't work under those principles, for example, if it's a civil marriage, which can be done not necessarily by the husband, but by the courts, by a different procedure uh, than a gift, and that essentially proves that it's a different system and, that, and there's no intent for the system of Torah for kiddushin. So the Sisa Bezel argues that from Rambam as well, you see, not like the argument of Ravenki. So that's the that's the crux of the argument on civil marriage. And just to sum up what practically happens nowadays, so what hap- practically happens is as follows. Basically, nearly everybody in the world, every Dayan that you will ask, everybody assumes that Mikaradin like Ramoshe Feinstein and other, many others wrote, Ravogad Yosef and countless other Poskim wrote, civil marriage is not considered to be marriage according to Halakha. They're not considered to be married. And therefore, if children, if they separated and got remarried, had children, those children are not considered to be Mamzerim. However, Lechatchila, because it is a very grave matter, and there are several uh, Poskim, like Rukhankin and a few others, even though they are a minute opinion, and we don't really understand their opinion so well, but nevertheless, because of the severity of the issue, if a couple married civilly, then we tr- we try the chatchila initially to arrange a get between them. However, if 
So again, if, if a couple who married civilly would come to a Beidin, and this happens often, and they ask, is a get required? We would tell them, yes, let's do a get to be on the safe side because there are uh, authorities that are stringent on it. However, if push comes to shove, it's difficult to get the get. The husband's not cooperating. We can't find it or whatever. Then uh, we will allow the woman to remarry without a get. And certainly any children that were born from a later relationship, if no get was arranged and uh, they had uh, uh, children in a second relationship, those children, uh, their status will not be tainted. They will not be considered mamzili. So that's the, that's the practical bottom line. And oftentimes you have cases um, where even though a couple was married civilly, if there are additional considerations as to why you could claim that the marriage is not binding besides the argument of civil marriage, I'll give you just, I'll throw out you know, examples. Let's say a couple got married for um, bureaucratic purposes, like to immigrate to another country, or this, this happened in, in Russia um, in the uh, early uh, 20th century, where people would get married to, to avoid army, to avoid being drafted to the army. Okay, so in all those cases um, where you have additional reasons to claim that the marriage is not binding because there was no intent for marriage and other reasons, then also a Beidin might decide that no get is required uh, in the case of a civil marriage. Okay, any questions, comments? Uh, Thank you very, very much, Hacham. Fascinating stuff. Really, really fascinating. So anybody got any questions before we end the session? Uh, yeah, but presumably that's the case for a couple that lived together for a long time and it was known to their wider community that they were, you know, because they, they, they'd invested in property together. So all the indications there, the only thing they haven't done is Chupab and Kiddushin, but that the same would apply, presumably. Again, that again, say again. Would the same apply? Would we, would we have to go, would we have to request to get the Humrah for a couple that lived together? with the full knowledge of their um, friends and family and had purchased property together, but hadn't actually gone through Chupad Gidushin. But did they get married civilly or not? No, they were just together. If they didn't even get married civilly, again, I can't say in 100% of the cases, but there you could make the argument that maybe even Rav Henkin would agree that no get is required. If they never showed any... Again, these things are very difficult to say nowadays because we do know that there are certain couples that even though they never officially tied the knot, by law, they do have the status like married woman, uh, married couple in terms of rights, etc. So that's, that's a little more. But those cases, I think we could even be more lenient on. If they never even went to the trouble of even civil marriage, then you can claim, I think in many of those cases, that even Rav Henkin would agree that no get is required. There, the argument that to require get is even weaker, I think. Thank you. There's, Any other questions? There's also another, there's an added issue in like of not only doing it for, for the intention of, of Torah, but also there's an added of the rabbinical law. Meaning, cause that's too, that's an added layer. It's not only midat, you know, for kiddushin and for all the basic requirements that the Torah says, but now there's all these added stuff that the chazal come around and add on. So like, what if someone has the intention for just the Torah, but not the chazal? He doesn't say kedat Moshe yeah. <laughs> well, actually, Karaites is an interesting question. There was, there is a big debate amongst the Poskim. Are the Karaites Kiddushin considered to be Kiddushin or not? That's another, you're getting into another argument. Okay. Um, it, it, it's, it, even, 
I'll tell you where it causes a lot of problems because let's say a Karite now wants to become a, um, he wants to come back into the fold, okay? So if you say that the Kiddushin of the Karites are Kiddushin, then even though they're Kiddushin are Kiddushin, their Gitin are not Gitin. So some Poskim claim that essentially all the Karites are Mamzeri, okay? Which is a, a huge problem. Uh, the other opinion, and this was the, the ruling of Rabbi Yosef most recently on it, although this is a debate that's been going back hundreds of years, was that the, for whatever reasons, I don't remember all the details, that the Kiddushin of the Karas are not Kiddushin at all, and therefore the Karas are not Manzirim, and therefore if um, they do wish to, to come back into the fold and marry, then they would be allowed to get married. Um, so Karas is an interesting debate on its own. It's a whole, uh... I believe Rabbi David Shalush, the former chief rabbi of Netanyah, he also held that they use the Choldavar as long as they take on the right. Rabbanite um, uh, yoke of the command. This debate has been going on at least since the times of the Radvaz 500 years ago in Egypt. So, um, yeah. There we go. Anybody else? Um, yeah, one, one. Hannah, go ahead. I just want to thank you so much, Diana. I just wanted to ask you, so is being on the safe side the reason why in Israel, Rabbanut will, you know, if a couple that was married in Cyprus or Greece and they want to get divorced, that the husband, that they require a husband to give a get? Is, is that is that the reason, just kind of to be on the safe side or the other reason? No, no, it's, it is, it's exactly it. It's what we call a get lechumra. It's a get on the, to be on the stringent safe side. And even the, 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 the Bethany in Israel, if they have cases where they're unable to get a get from the husband, then they will permit the woman to remarry even without it. Thank you. If I could just look, go back to the case where, you know, we, we discover retrospectively that one of the Adim wasn't um, a proper Adim, he wasn't Shemesh Shabbat. Right. Presumably, following this, this argument, we can say that the Kavana of the couple was to get married at the ceremony, and afterwards, when, you know, they went home and they lived together as man and wife, they had no kavana of Kiddushin because they thought they'd done it already. So, so in this case, if you have an aguna, you, and, and it turns out that one of the Adim actually wasn't Shomer Shabbat or it was disqualified for some reason, you, you, you don't have to worry then that they lived together because they had in their mind that the Kiddushin was done at the ceremony. The ceremony turns out to be not a suitable ceremony. They didn't know that at the time. And so therefore thereafter, they had no kavana of, of, of um, of Kiddushin, and, and therefore they were never married. You know, they were just like Pilegesh, effectively. Is, right. is, is, that how we, is that how we kind of get out of the, the, the Agonot in those circumstances, more yeah, or less? That, first of all, that whole issue is a big debate onto its own. But those that allow it essentially make that claim. There is a proof from that from the Gemara, because the Gemara speaks about a case where he did Kiddushin, uh, but it turned out that, that there was something wrong with the Kiddushin. Let's say, for example, it turned out that what he gave her was not a Shvet Uta. It was not of the minimal monetary value necessary for the Kiddushin to be valid. And therefore, mm-hmm. we say that even though he had relations later on with her, he wasn't having intent for Kiddushin and his relations because he was relying on the Kiddushin that he thought he had done previously. And if that Kiddushin turns out to be invalid, then we would not say that the subsequent relations that he had are, are for the sake of Kiddushin. So that's exactly the argument that is made in those cases. Hi. Thank you. So the term Pelegish has been thrown about a lot in recent questions, but uh, the Ramah says that this is only for, the, for, for kings. If, why why do the late postings seem to 
suggest this as an alternative or as a as a as a recourse for lay people? If do we not hold by the Ramah? About what? That a Pelagesh could be for because uh, we're all kings. <laughs> so, um, I, tell, uh, I, I don't think it's it's a mainstream opinion at all. I mean. There haven't, I, again, admittedly, there is the opinion of the Ramban and several others that agree with him that the Pilegish is permitted, but, you know, men haven't been taking Pilegshim for hopefully, I think, about a thousand years. I mean, we do have some sources on in the times of the Geonim that that was done, but not anything in the recent hundreds of years. And, you know, not all suggestions are good suggestions, okay? Especially on these issues. You have to be very wary. Uh, of these suggestions, and I, I don't think they're I don't think they're good suggestions at all. Um, I didn't quite understand the point of um, when we when the Rabbanim instituted kiddushin uh, formally in a way, and I think it was instituted that kiddushin has to be done with um, kesef. There's no legal way of doing it with bia. But this was a rabbinic decree, right? Alpi Torah, you could do Kiddushin and Nisuin Alpi through Biyah only, right? No. You, Mina Torah, you have three options as how to, how to do Kiddushin. You could do it with Kesef, something of monetary value. You could do it with Shtal, by a, a document, a deed that states that you have been done Kiddushin. Or you could do it through Biyah. Chachamim, what they said was, because it's sort of improper to start off your relationship with bia with relations, they said don't use that route. However, they didn't they didn't they didn't void it. In other words, if somebody did kiddushay bia, then she would be bikudeshes. They just prohibited doing kiddushay bia. But all three options of kesef, shtal, and bia are all three from the Torah. So when do we say there is there is a discussion regarding kesef, but, but yeah. we'll put that aside. The, the final so when do we say that Biya was intended to be um, as Kiddushin in a way? Uh, when can we say it was indicated that the Biya that he did or they did was for Kiddushin? What does it require? If, did the Chachamim have to... No, it's very simple. A person, a person says to the witnesses, I'm now going to have relations with the, to the woman in front of witnesses. I'm now going to have relations with you for the sake of Kiddushin. Okay? Then they go into a room together and they have relations. And again, the witnesses don't have to see the relations themselves. They just have to see them entering the room for that purpose. And that would be considered kiddushin. Again, it's prohibited to do it. But if you did it, then she would be mikudesh. But all this is not um, the case in our scenarios that we have gone through. Uh, for example, with the, the two Anusim who were forced to do it uh, through a um, Christian ritual and then living together. They have never expressed what they did for Kiddushin expressly, just... Exactly. You know, everything they did, they never made any expression that they haven't sent for the Kiddushin. If they had made that expression, then she would be Makudesha. But they never expressed it. They followed mm -hmm. the Christian ceremonies, or nowadays they followed the civil ceremonies. They never made any indication of intent for Kiddushin, and that's, that's the argument why that's not considered to be Kiddushin. Thank you so much, Hafam. For you, it must be 11.39 real time, because uh, you're on Israeli time. Um, thank you so much. Really looking I forward to the next year. I believe the next one is on Sunday, next Sunday.
Um, so thank you very much, Hacham. I hope your stay in London is meaningful and fruitful. Everybody, thank you so much for being here. And we look forward to seeing you tomorrow, actually, for Rabbi Faul's class, final class of Masachet Sanhedrin. Uh, we have a Hebrew shiur as well earlier on in the day with Hacham Hezi Cohen. And then on Wednesday, we have a new series on the Teshubot of Hacham David Shalush, former chief rabbi of Morocco. All the information will be on the WhatsApp group, so stay updated there. Thank you all. Good night, Hacham. Thank you again. Thank you. Good night.